Good morning. Welcome to this worship assembly. I want to begin with this reading that is on the screen. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. A moment of personal honesty is required to gain full benefit from this sermon. For me and for you. A moment of personal honesty when you hear this question. Do you ever become discouraged? The question is not, have you abandoned faith in Christ altogether? The question is not, is there some awful sin that you are hiding? The question is not, do you know someone who is discouraged? Do you ever become discouraged? And is that the case presently? Discouraged by pain in your family, stubborn disease in your body, Christians who are not what they should be, the degenerating decay that's obvious in our society, financial pressure of such magnitude you don't see any good solution, are just overwhelmed by so many things that you have to keep track of that you're responsible for day after day. I'm recommending a moment of personal honesty to get us into this sermon. Do you ever become discouraged? I can't see in your minds what your answers are, but I think I know. I believe there are more than just a few in this audience who have been discouraged, maybe every single one, and perhaps some presently who are discouraged in the current circumstance they're having to navigate our circumstances. So what can be offered from the pulpit to help you address discouragement? There are a number of different approaches. I could say that we all need to pray more. That would be true. I could say, take a look at your attendance at these assemblies. Are you taking full advantage of Bible classes? That would be a good question for those who are able to be here. I could say... We all need to dig in deeper to daily Bible reading discipline. That would be true. So prayer and attendance and Bible study classes and Bible reading, no question, those are valuable. We should never rule out or minimize any of these responses. I just have another approach I want to offer during this time frame. 
one that is a truth that all of us will immediately acknowledge, truth that has power to lift us out of discouragement and get us back into full strength and activity of faith. And I'm going to capture that by three simple words. God loves you. God loves us. I've selected and prepared teaching from four different New Testament passages about God's love for us. And the promise is, if we will listen carefully to His Word and take it seriously and take it with us out of the building and remember it this week and factor it into all of our thoughts, it will help us cope with whatever challenges we have. We'll start here in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. In the Berkeley family, we've had some experience with adoption. Have you witnessed the joy of celebration of parents adopting a child? My sister and her husband adopted Nathan. I have one nephew who with his wife adopted a baby from Ethiopia. Another nephew and his wife who are now in the process of adopting a girl. We adopted our daughter. Some of you have adopted children. And there comes a time when you arrive at the court and stand before a judge in a very sober tone. And the judge makes certain that all the papers are in order while you silently watch the deliberation. And then he says something like this. At a certain moment in the proceedings, the judge says something like this. It is therefore ordered, adjudicated, and decreed that the petitioner's request to adopt this child is hereby granted and the name of the child will be and then the name of the child is spoken. Family and friends are present. Everybody is dressed up and there are tears of joy and celebration. A child has a family. When a lost sinner becomes convinced that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, and faith leads that person to repentance and baptism, it is ordered, adjudicated, and decreed in heaven by Almighty God that there is a new child in God's family. Don't ever forget that moment and let that memory lift you up when you're down. God's love found supreme expression in the death of Christ for you to get out of sin 
and not be spiritually homeless, but to be a member of the best family there has ever been. Don't forget that moment. Behold what manner of love God has for us, that we should be called children of God. Let that sink in. It can renew your gratitude. It can help get you out of that valley of despair. It can reignite your devotion to being a disciple of Christ. I'm opening to Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5, I'm looking for verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did a lot of things before the cross. God did a lot of things at the cross. One thing specified in Romans 5.8, God demonstrated His love for us. Sometimes here on earth, when human beings greet us, and when human beings want to express their warmth and care for us, they will say, I love you. And we appreciate that. And in many cases, we return that expression of affection. And yet sometimes we realize there's no expression of it beyond the words. The full genuine meaning of the words, I love you, is really not known personally until that love finds expression. Until it's activated. The full genuine meaning of the words, I love you, is really not known until activated. And this may remind you of what John wrote in 1 John 3.18, My little children, he said, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Well, with God, his love for man found supreme expression in that while man was living in sin and digging deeper and deeper into darkness, he sent Christ to live and die for us. That truth should move us. That truth should hold us. That truth should equip us for battle and strengthen our minds and substantiate our joy. And should I ever come to a time, should you ever come to a time, when you move away from that truth, trouble is near. Gospel preachers in my youth used to say, all the ground is level at the foot of the cross. None of us deserve one moment in heaven. God had to do something to get us out of sin. And love was behind it, according to Romans 5.8. And John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I should always forever be encouraged by God's love and the ultimate expression of it 
by His Son, our Savior, something that we remembered moments ago that we ought to take with us into the week and the rest of our lives. Realizing that when God did this on the cross, man was not appealing, attractive, or deserving. Most men and women, when Jesus died on the cross, didn't even know they needed mercy. Or knew it and didn't care. Yet God took action to save those who were far off, deep into sin. This is the God we know, the God we serve and on the cross was the Son we honor. Ephesians chapter 2, please. We need to begin at verse 1 in Ephesians 2 and read down through verse 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul tells the Christians in Ephesus, remember where you were before you obeyed the gospel. And he expresses it this way, dead. And he goes on to say, dead in trespasses and sins living as directed by the passions of the flesh. Down in verse 12, directed to Gentiles, Paul said at that time, you were separated from Christ, aliens, strangers, and then he says, you were without God in the world. But aren't we glad and grateful where it says, because of the great love with which he loved us, God being rich in mercy, made us alive together in Christ. He lifted us out of sin when we obeyed the gospel, seated us in His family, and this shows the immeasurable riches of His grace. How then can we be discouraged? 
knowing what God's love has provided for us that we can live in now and hope for in the end. What should be our response? It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Is that what you're doing? Romans 8, 37 to 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to make an extremely simple statement. And you will not be inclined to deny it. No matter what happens here on earth, God loves His people. Name any disaster, any source of pain, any cause of depression, any disease or conflict or form of persecution, any anxiety or cause of anxiety, any frustration, any exhaustion. God hasn't stopped loving you. Even when your love for Him may be remiss in some ways, even when you're guilty of sin or discouraged, God loves you. He certainly may want you to change. But his love is uninterrupted. He is like the prodigal father in Luke 15. The son took off. The son went off to live what he thought would be the good life. But he got himself in trouble. Wound up facing his own ruined life right in front of him based on what he was eating, then repented and went back to his father. The father's love had not ceased. The father wanted his son to change and come back. The father's love had not ceased. The father was there waiting for the son to come back and embraced him. God's love for us is constant even when He wants us to change. His love is there. He may want you to change your attitude. He may want me to change mine. He may want me to change my behavior, wanting you to change your behavior. He may want all of us to change our indifference into zeal and growth. We can be more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And so, my conclusion. When God's love and our pain collide, we need to let God's love win. 
When God's love and our pain collide, we need to let God's love win to overcome our discouragement. His love is perfectly expressive of what we need to live right and die right. His love provides comfort, motivation, and calls for a response to His love. He may want us to change. Love for God on our part always leads to obedience. It prompts repentance when that change is so so needed right on the surface of our lives. It behooves us to never forget that God loves us and be led to Him by that love to embrace it, put it to work in our lives, responding to Him. And should you need to respond obediently to Him this morning, you may do so while we stand together to sing. Thank <clears throat> you.